everybody. Welcome back to the Garage MPT podcast. As always, I'm Lou Fonkamp, and sitting with me again is David Farwick. <laughs> Hope you guys are having a good weekend. And uh, we're going to continue to build off the principles we've been talking about. And today we're going to talk about overload and progression. Uh, we hope you guys have been kind of taking what we've been talking about and kind of looking at some of the, maybe the exercise programming that you guys have seen, maybe even written for yourself, uh, and just being a little bit more analytical with it all. Um, today, what Dave and I are going to talk about with, with the overload, um, kind of hashing it out here a little bit, um, basically overload, um, is where in order to basically achieve a, a training adaptation, um, you have to be able to stress the body with a particular load or stimulus, whatever you want, in order to create that change. Um, if you become too, it's like if you see the people that are using the same weight all the time and they never really make those little progressions, you're always going to be at that same point in your training. You're never really going to make any any positives or progressions. Um, you, you could think about progressions in this and being loading, uh, changing the resistance. Um, different complexity in the movements, uh, maybe adding in a little wrinkle to the movement itself. Um, so as you go, and th these two are kind of intermingled per se. They're, they're uh, definitely married at the hip. Oh yeah, or hands even down. Even like referring, referring to it as like progressive overload too. So this mm -hmm. is like also kind of the working definition of both of these things. Uh, I guess what, I'll try to give like an example of like how I would likely use this for training in the clinic. So typically training is easiest if you take any type of lift such as uh, squat, bench, dead, clean, snatch, jerk, etc. You are trying to put more weight on the bar. So that will be your stimulus of overload progressively throughout a number of weeks, i.e. you're probably going to start with a large, broad volume base to get the movement pattern down and then gradually taper the intensity up as the volume gets tapered down in order to keep driving up this neurological stimulus for heavy weight. Uh, it's very easy to do with training. Uh, in the clinic, this does get to be a little bit harder to discern. I typically will try to use their main statement as to like what they're having issues with as my quote unquote uh, main lift, All right? So if somebody comes in with knee pain and they have the inability to go down a step, typically I'm going to try to incorporate some sort of single squatting variation and then progressively make it harder. Uh, I guess like in this scenario, it may start as something as easy as like a step down at a very low step. So there's obviously two or three ways to progress this um, or overload. So progression would look like increasing the height of the step. Uh, progression would look like changing the variation of exercise so that it actually meets something maybe in the middle like a squat or a lunge or a split squat. Um, and then it's very easy to add weight to this as well. Um, the, how do you kind of incorporate that model when you're kind of looking at it from a clinical standpoint? Are, are you trying to like drive it more specifically to their exact problem or do you kind of have like your own kind of built-in piece that's more traditional? 
So, I mean, I, I kind of look at it as either the movement pattern needs to become more complex, or I'm going to say that the tissue just needs to be able to tolerate the load a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, simple example, the five pound every week uh, as a loaded progression, let's just say for the back squat or taking, let's say like the complexity of a pistol and let's say they, they need to go from band or box assist and then eventually progressing the assistance away um, to when they can do the full pistol. So like those progressions and that overload can kind of go hand in hand. Movement complexity as opposed to loading, I think sometimes um, can also go hand in hand. So like sometimes it'll even um, like, so for example, the muscle up, that kind of a progression can be very tricky just because there's a lot of different aspects to it that need to be assessed and looking at it. Is it, is it the core that needs to be progressed? Is it maybe the, the lat lengthening and then generating all that snapping power out of that length? Uh, being able to take where that weak spot at is at in that movement and then progressing that in a broken down manner and then applying it back to the overall movement, sometimes I'll do as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and progression can also be achieved just by doing something as simple as maybe changing the type of bar just to have mm -hmm. a little bit of like variation. Uh, so obviously, if you're always doing back squats with a straight bar, doing something to where it would make it more of like a safety bar or duffel bar or anything else can also be a very, very easy thing to switch up. So that way you just keep the novelty of the exercise, but then it'll also adjust your percentages. And then you can run programming off of this different stimulus to really put in uh, a different uh, CNS overload. Mm -hmm. um, you could even think of like speed over like, like speed progressions as well. Um, so like if you're doing speed training, uh, overloading it that way, I mean, there's so many different ways that you can, man, so many different aspects of speed training that you could use this example for. Um, so like using the tough tread, adding an incline, uh, band over speed training can also be another way to do it. Um, I mean, my gosh, there's an infinite number of variations you can utilize in order to progress and overload. Right. Even like your time domains or length of race too would dictate how you're going to do this. Exactly. Uh, but to truly get the, the actual principle of overload, it does have to be specific to a point. Yes. Right. Like you can't have constant 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 variation and never expect to get better at something like the pattern does have to stay somewhat similar otherwise these specific tissues adaptations and stimuluses won't won't really do what you want them to do mm -hmm. right so you can't just kind of take things and throw them at a board and hope they stick you still have to be in the ballpark mm -hmm. of something such as a squat deadlift or even like a step down to get your knee pain better mm-hmm and actually, I heard a really good uh, point from Alex Trotter that the further away you get with your variations, the less applicable it can be to whatever movement you're actually trying to get to. Yeah, less right? carryover. Exactly. So another thing that I think you could look into with like overload and progressions is timetables, you know? So like some people are going to try to make huge jumps too soon and then that tissue gets a little cranky. And I mean, let's just say back squatting, knee pain, they're making 10, 15 pound jumps per set um, or 
each week they're trying to go up by like 25, 50 pounds, just hypothetical. Uh, sometimes the overload in that tissue, it can be too much. And then that leads to tissue breakdown as opposed to actually being able to tolerate the load. They end up basically overstraining it. Um, I feel like I've had a few people now who, as soon as you actually dial them back a little bit and you start using the smaller increments, let alone actually like looking at what their warmups are for like their sets, um, that can even change pain, which is fantastic. Um, I know I had one person who was going, they had like one set with a bar, one set with 135, and then they were going right up to like 315 and then 405 for their back spots. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, I was like, we need to we need to drop this back. We need to add in maybe another two sets warm up. Because I mean, those aren't going to fatigue you, right? They're not going to be able to take enough out of you for your working sets. Um, so we started making those changes. But even what? if they do, it's just additional volume. It, exactly. More, more chances to practice the actual pattern and get better at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just I think mismatching uh, overload stimulus in the in more of like the fitness setting becomes super easy to do right mm -hmm. so like <laughs> we always kind of wonder like why like say if you did every week and like you just did like your gradual five pound overload why wouldn't you just continue to accumulate <laughs> more and more <laughs> weight from week to week right like if you're just doing a five, yeah. five and you start at the bar and then in theory you just add five pounds a week you know you feel like you would never run into an issue but of course like then once again, you have to change the variation. Otherwise, you're going to have that rate of diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. I say change in movement pattern, change in the loading stimulus, where the sticking point is at. Um, th there's so many different things you can use. Um, and kind of like what we talked about in one of the previous episodes about like, if you're having pain and like monitoring and modifying the exercise so that you can continue to train. Um, this, this goes hand in hand with that. Absolutely. And actually being thoughtful of what you're picking for the accessory work as well, i.e. going back to the bench press, like, you know, you, you really want to work your upper back and your triceps a lot more than you actually want to work the bench press pattern because it has like a, more of like a postural component to it. Mm -hmm. So then progressing these as well can be another possible way to do it. So I don't know if say your traditional bench day should look like some variation of bench, but then you should be hitting like banded tricep pushdowns, a ton of pull-aparts, ring rows, pieces like this that you can also kind of change the sets, the reps, the tempo, and hopefully keep yourself from ever getting into injury in the first place. Mm-hmm. What was it like 20% of your, your program should be your main lift and 80% accessories. Yeah, they, they do. Yep. The rotating variation at 80% mm -hmm. for the specificity, but then the, the other 80% goes to special exercises that will bolster postural support mm -hmm. in, a, in a typical uh, power lifting or Olympic weightlifting program, at least this is how it should go. Yeah. I think, so like, just let, let's go into a few hypotheticals here. So if you think about that five pound progression, right? Let's say you got someone who's 135 pound bencher, right? And you're making those five pound progressions 
over four weeks, right? Five pound progressions over four weeks to add 20 pounds. You got 155, right? So if you've gone like four weeks right there, you've just hit a 20 pound PR. Like that's nuts, especially like as training age begins to go in there and you've been training for so long. I mean, you and I both know PRs are rare to come by. So adding in those five pounds per week and that's that small progression each time, like you're teaching yourself to be more resilient to those training movement patterns and that load. It just, it's almost so simple, but it's just like, you got to be patient with it, right? Yeah. I mean, even professional powerlifters, they'll do two meets a year mm-hmm. and they never, they never say that you should violate that law because of the, the amount of time it does take to make that, that progression. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say just like minimum base stimulus for if you're going to do a test retest might be more like the six to eight week threshold at a minimum before mm-hmm. you can actually see like the, the plastic changes that need to be made. And honestly, even in like these hypothetical scenarios too, uh, from the physical therapy side of things, we're actually as a profession, chronic underloaders. Mm-hmm. And we think that we're causing more damage to the system than we actually are. Whereas like the exercise is actually probably going to do a lot for the pain regulation. But yeah. far too many PTs, in my opinion, stick just like the very basic three by 10. And then they just go to three by 12. And then they're just using subtle band jumps and it's just not enough to actually make a difference like the band <laughs> tension you put for a clamshell is never gonna measure up to like your body weight while walking i was waiting for the bands to come into there mm-hmm. um let's take a guy who can squat 600 700 pounds and let's let's put a little light theraband around him and make him do clamshells that that's enough exactly like you're basically going to have to have that guy hold that band isometric for about one minute before you even get into anything useful. <laughs> oh man. Uh, now I think like going into the the specifics of it, that progression and overload need to be able to match whatever the heck they're trying to get like, accomplish. Um, yep. So looking into, you know, physical therapy as, as a whole, like we are chronic underloaders. I think that is one thing that needs to be addressed in school um, is you learn about how much like, like pounds of force these tissues can handle. And we're worried about placing 50 pounds or a barbell on someone's back. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I think I recently took a course and I heard that like your IT band says you isolate it. And then let's just say, hang a weight from it. It takes about a thousand pounds to actually get it to change by about a centimeter (laughs) so that's crazy yeah so just like having that thought alone you can load it like we're we're not gonna we're not gonna quote unquote hurt anything and that's how much it actually takes to get that that tissue to change like having somebody do body weight is not enough yeah I mean, obviously there's going to be some, some trials in, in terms of, and you know, you're going to be more patient with like a post rehab, uh, post-surgical rehab. But I mean, once they're out of that, you know, out of the clear and you can start progressing the loading, you should be doing that. Just, hmm. 
I feel like they put like the fear of God into people that if you load this and they get hurt, like, it's like if you're loading them improperly, yeah, there's a chance for them to get hurt. But like, if you're looking at healing timetables for soft tissue and you look at how resilient half the time like soft tissue truly is, like if you can do it in an adequate and a patient way, then sky's the limit. Or even just starting some of these things early, like the example here might be like a uh, post-op meniscus repair. Mm-hmm. They'll usually have them like non-weight bearing for four to six weeks for some reason, but the joint actually gets nutrition through compression. So if you start letting them do toe touch for a week and then keep progressively moving that weight bearing, this person has a much better outcome than the person who sits and just atrophies for six weeks. Quad goes south real quick. And I think on the on the other side of this conversation too, the principle of progression is not always just adding additional exercises. So adding junk volume to your program is not a progression. Mm-hmm. So some people's PT list, you look at it and it has like 12 to 13 things. That is not a progression because you keep moving further and further from the mark, the more volume you add most of the time. Yeah. Volume does not mean more like progression wise. Yep. And that will like lead us pretty much directly into what we're going to talk about in the future of the rate of diminishing return or the law of diminishing return. So that, that sponge example comes firmly back into play here where if we just continue to oversaturate something eventually it's going to outgrows capacity for change and you're mm-hmm. no longer doing anything meaningful for this person so let's let's take progression in like patient wise let's say patient comes in they write out their their exercise program that they did for the last two or three weeks and you see that their their progressions have been too fast like let's say they're doing like 15, 20 pound progressions and now they've overloaded the tissue too quickly. Maybe technique as the, the loaded progression has gone south. Um, how can we as therapists have that conversation with the patient to be like, hey, I'm not necessarily gonna take you out of the gym, but we need to do some changes. Um, that I feel like we have a, we don't do that enough. We don't look at programming enough um, as a as a, as a whole, we only have like two to three times a week with a patient, but like we should be educating on programming, don't you think? My my personal thought on this is if you do it, then yes. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to treat yourself as your own project. Uh, so I have big knocks on people that give advice about programming that they've never performed. So you yes. don't really understand yeah. like where the breakdown was likely to occur or said sport if you haven't done it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think even just touching on this, like, hey, if you do progress too quickly, um, usually you're getting more towards like the tendinitis uh, side of the equation there from what I've seen. Uh, mm-hmm. so even like telling them that like, hey, taking two to three weeks, slowing this down, building good positions. Uh, 
could potentially keep you in the game longer, right? So the best mm-hmm. best attribute that you can have is availability. And if you're continuing to try to like push that timetable forward, you're always kind of running the risk of predisposing yourself to injury, no matter mm-hmm. what that sport might be. I think that's sometimes a hard conversation to have with athletes and patients is, you know, we want you to dial back a little bit in regards to like loading and then maybe even reducing the complexity of the movement for a little bit, but then that way you can move forward. And I think that needs to have like that conversation needs to be had, but like you've already said, if, if you don't understand the programming and you yourself have never like used that type of programming before, like how can you speak on it? You know what I mean? Right. If you're going to go cue somebody on increasing their front squat, but you've never actually tried to increase your front squat, I don't think you belong in the conversation. Yeah. Like, there's a number of reasons you can't just continually just blame glute need for the fact that your knees are bogusing in. Now, once again, just go load them up with clamshells and just hope it works. Like, what if, what if in this scenario, their upper back is super weak? Mm-hmm. What if they're doing front squats in running shoes? Oh, God. Like, just <laughs> two things that you can't really blame the glute need for right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. If you're going to be in sports, physical therapy, athletics, you want to be that active PT, then you yourself need to be active. Like, you need to practice what you preach. And you need to be able to get underneath the bar. You need to be able to demonstrate, let alone you need to be able to like use terminology that puts everyone on the same playing field. So like you can actually relay what you want changed. But if you yourself have never experienced that, how can you relay that information? It's just, there, there's a lot of people out there right now that are quote unquote sports physical therapists. But when you look at them, they don't, they don't look the part. And I know that's maybe superficial, but because when you talk to them, I'm sure they're very book smart. But then they go to demonstrate a squat and it's like, oh, God, if you can't fix your own problems, let alone have the accountability to train yourself. Mm, that That's not good with me. The major disconnect there. It, yeah. The, the great things, but it's also the crux of the field is that you can be whatever you want to be. Mm-hmm. So while, you know, you can go make yourself out to be a sports specific therapist. Uh, there are people that do kind of wind up there that don't practice it um i don't know the same way like you might pigeonhole yourself to mma but you've never actually entered a fight and like all this other stuff that's just very very interesting that this happens at such a high rate yeah i mean if it's your passion you understand it and you yourself have been like basically in it for a while like the training age as a therapist yourself is going to apply and it's going to give you that, like that point of view, that perspective that if you've never done it before, you, you won't have. Yeah. Um, Just for like full transparency, like none of my treatment strategy is based off what I learned in school. It is all as a result of me trying to go through my own progression and figuring out what's helped me uh, and then applying more of like these principles behind it to help other people get better quicker. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm similar as well. You know, having the, the, I've been training basically since I was in sixth grade. So like the things that I've utilized over the years has changed as my education has grown, but like the things that I've found that have worked um, and also the training programs that I followed um, have led to success, especially after surgery. Uh, and that's because when you understand those principles, especially as you go from point to point to point, um, you can apply them to patients, right? But being able to take a patient from knowing nothing to knowing a lot, that 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 road is never ending, right? And it's like, you don't know what you don't know until you explain it to them. And I've had a lot of patients where it's like, it's been in front of them the whole time, you know, back off your load a little bit and watch how the progress actually will continue to move forward um, or make this small change in your exercises for the week and watch how pain reduces. And then you can move back into that same movement, maybe two, three, four weeks later. Um, or even understanding like how adding something as simple as like tempo can make something completely different while not having to go just use weight or if you're trying to build position, doing stuff like pauses can really just help bolster this person as far as like their overall progression and ability to accept overload mm -hmm. while, while avoiding getting injured. Yeah. Because if you think about it, we don't, we, we can't prevent injury, right? Like injury prevention, it, it's more of like risk mitigation, if you think about it. Yeah, on a long enough time access, we're all going to get injured. Exactly. If you look right, at so the, the numbers. It's not an if, it's a when. And mm -hmm. the broader your training age is and the broader your base of moving correctly is, the less likely it is to happen to you. But the more that you play with that line, this in, even includes competition, the higher your injury risk go up. Mm-hmm. So one thing I think that if anything you guys can take from today's episode, uh, look at programming in the way of your progressions don't always have to be super complex, right? Sometimes less is more and simple is better. Um, the other thing that I want to make, make known is that your overloads, overloads, right? Um, if you look at your patient's home exercise program, and progression and overloading is the same sets and repetitions every single time they do their home exercise program for the span of whatever time they're with you. You need to be educating them about how they can then go on after this home exercise program into something either more or something different. Um, I think sometimes they give them a home, clinicians will give a home exercise program. They're like, you have to do this every day for the rest of your life. Have a good life. And that's just, oh man. <laughs> And that, and that does kind of stink because that's where we get handcuffed. Uh, and I, I wish I had the ability to do more long-term mm -hmm. progression like that. But this is also like where your friends in the strength and conditioning space can come in handy. Uh, if you know you're handing somebody off to a uh, coach that actually has thoughtful progression, then you know that they're more likely to stay injury-free, continue, not come back and see you for the same thing. Um, but even back to the beginning of what you were saying, there is some usefulness for them staying in maybe that three sets of 10 for two weeks. But then after that, like once they're practiced, you got to change it up. If you, mm -hmm. don't if you don't change, you remain the same. 
Exactly. Exactly. But no, we hope you guys enjoyed our discussion today on overload and progression. Uh, Dave and I are going to tackle in next week's episode. Uh, we're going to talk about diminishing returns or deloading. Uh, and they're also going to talk about detraining. So we hope you guys have enjoyed all of our principles so far. We'll kind of build up into the remaining ones. And then after that, we'll hit a few different topics. Um, we hope you guys have a good week. <laughs>